ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today we'll be speaking with Arathana M. Venkatesan, MD, Professor of Radiology and Director of Translational Research in the Department of Abdominal Imaging at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Since September is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month, we thought we'd invite Dr. Venkatesan onto the show to discuss her work on ovarian cancer screening and to discuss how the discipline is evolving. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to speak today. Absolutely. Well, I think uh, it's important to start off, uh, given that we're going to be talking about ovarian cancer today, to note that that as a cancer, it's the fifth leading cause of, of death uh, for women in the U.S. as far as cancers go, and that it is the most lethal of all female reproductive system malignancies. And I was just hoping you could start us off by helping our audience understand kind of what it is and whom it most affects. Certainly. So ovarian cancer refers to cancer arising from the ovaries. These are the paired reproductive organs on either side of the uterus where eggs are formed during a woman's reproductive years. Not all tumors arising from the ovary are cancers, as some ovarian tumors are in fact benign and never spread beyond the ovary. But malignant ovarian tumors, that is ovarian cancers, are tumors that can spread or metastasize to other parts of the body and can be fatal, with ovarian cancer in general having the highest mortality rate of all gynecologic malignancies. The most common type of ovarian cancer is high-grade serous ovarian carcinoma. And approximately three out of four women with ovarian cancer have high-grade serous carcinoma. We know that our contemporary research suggests that this type of cancer actually begins developing within the cells in the far ends of the fallopian tubes, where eggs from an ovary enter the uterus. And from there, it spreads to the surface of the ovary and then to more distant sites in the body. In terms of who ovarian cancer most often affects, it is more common in women over the age of 60, those with a personal history of breast cancer, a family history of breast or ovarian cancer, or known or suspected genetic predisposition. There are genetic predispositions that increase the likelihood of developing ovarian cancer, including having mutations in the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes, which are the genes most commonly affected in hereditary breast and ovarian cancer. Approximately 10 to 15% of all ovarian cancers result specifically from inherited mutations in the BRCA1 and 2 genes. So an awareness of one's own personal and family history is important, as this can impact how your physician may elect to have you evaluated for ovarian cancer. And you did a really good job of listing off not only what, what the cancer is, but but kind of some risk factors there. And I just wanted to see if we could pull those out uh, one more time and just, uh, you know, talk to us about who is usually recommended to get screened for this type of cancer, at what age, uh, and so forth. Can you do that? Just, just a brief minute on that? Sure, absolutely. And this is an important topic, uh, given that at the present time, there is no one optimal screening test for ovarian cancer for either a general population uh, or specifically for the high-risk population that has been confirmed to be beneficial in terms of reducing mortality. And we know from existing studies that have been done uh, that have looked at ovarian cancer screening procedures, the results that have been yielded have in fact yielded mixed results. For example, the UK collaborative trial of ovarian cancer screening uh, which is the largest ovarian cancer screening trial conducted to date in over 200,000 postmenopausal women at average risk for developing ovarian cancer, 
was performed wherein women were randomized to either multimodality screening with a blood test for serum CA-125 and transvaginal ultrasound, or either uh, that or transvaginal ultrasound alone, or no screening. In this study, a larger percentage of cancers were detected at an earlier stage, and fewer late-stage cancers were detected in the multimodal screening group compared to no screening. However, a significant mortality reduction was not observed. That is, screening did not save lives. There was a second phase of this trial performed wherein over 4,300 women at an increased risk of ovarian cancer underwent screening via serum CA-125 testing and transvaginal ultrasound. And this study also diagnosed ovarian cancers as a result of the screening with a higher proportion of patients with early stage disease uh, diagnosed compared to historical high-risk controls, suggesting some benefit using combined CA-125 testing and transvaginal ultrasound as an option for women at high-risk ovarian cancer, particularly those who defer or decline risk-reducing surgery for ovarian cancer in the setting known as salpingo-ophorectomy, that is the preventative removal of the ovaries and fallopian tubes. But in this study, as for the average risk women who were screened in the original UK collaborative trial, it remains unknown whether this strategy would improve survival in screened high-risk women. A third representative study looked at data from the Cancer Genetics Network and the Gynecologic Oncology Group trials and screened over 3,600 women at high risk of ovarian cancer, also using CA-125 and pelvic ultrasound for screening. This too was able to identify incidental ovarian cancers, including a significant proportion of early stage cancers, suggesting an ability to detect ovarian cancer at an earlier stage in high-risk women. But again, it remains unconfirmed based upon these data whether these methods in fact impact survival. And unfortunately to date, no study has confirmed a reduction in ovarian cancer-related death using the combination of pelvic ultrasound and CA-125 testing, even for women at high risk of developing ovarian cancer. So what do these data mean? As a result of these data and others, in terms of screening recommendations, the current NCCN guidelines, for example, those of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, indicate that transvaginal ultrasound combined with serum CA-125 for ovarian cancer screening is of uncertain benefit, but may be considered at a clinician's discretion in patients with a high-risk family history of ovarian cancer. In the current NCCN recommendations, a specific age for when to begin screening is not endorsed, although when this has been pursued, it has typically involved commencing screening with CA-125 and pelvic ultrasound at ages 30 to 35. Similarly, the American College of Radiology has indicated in its appropriateness criteria, evidence-based guidelines, that pelvic ultrasound may be appropriate in women who are either pre or postmenopausal with a high risk family history. But otherwise, imaging is usually not appropriate for screening, i.e. in women at lower risk or average risk for developing ovarian cancer. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that there's no single marker that that really detects early stage ovarian cancer because we're going to talk about a little bit more about in, in a bit 
how how important it is to catch it early, um, and and also maybe some some barriers that exist uh, for for women in the groups you you just were talking about to actually get the screening. Um, but before we do that, I was I wondering if we could lay a little more groundwork. Um, you've again, you've done a great job about um, kind of listing out the ways that that um, there are for screening for ovarian cancer in the absence of kind of a consensus on how it should work. I was wondering if you could just maybe help help us a little bit with our understanding by dividing. As I understand it, there are standard approaches to screening and more novel approaches. I just wonder if you could uh, linger a minute longer on this and kind of explain what the more standard approaches to it are versus the more novel approaches. So uh, two of the standard tests that I'd mentioned are number one, a blood test uh, of the CA125 tumor marker, as well as pelvic ultrasound. So CA125 stands for cancer antigen 125, and it is a protein that is demonstrated at higher than normal levels in approximately 80% of women with ovarian cancer, and it can be measured with a blood test. It's commonly used to monitor women who have known ovarian cancer. Pelvic ultrasound uses sound waves to create an image of the organs in the pelvis, including the ovaries, and this test usually involves an ultrasound wand placed on the outside of the abdomen, as well as one subsequently placed within the vagina to obtain the necessary images. Given the existing data I had mentioned, which have yielded mixed results concerning the effectiveness of these combined techniques for ovarian cancer screening, the use of serum CA125 combined with transvaginal ultrasound for ovarian cancer screening is again one to be considered at a clinician's discretion based upon existing guidelines in patients with a high-risk family history, with imaging usually not appropriate for screening in lower-risk or average-risk women. And as there is no single screening test or combination of tests that are considered optimal for general population-based screening, there continues to be ongoing research to identify newer or more effective techniques that can improve upon our ability to detect ovarian cancer and in doing so to reduce ovarian cancer mortality. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so there, again, there's the, I just wonder if you think about it this way, because in the, in the literature, they kind of bifurcated into standard versus more novel, but is it really more about whatever the screening technique technique is based on kind of the person who's presenting? Um, it's not, it's not a binary in other words, or, or am I thinking about that incorrectly? Uh, well, the standard tests that we have available to screen uh, in the clinical setting really are serum CA-125 and pelvic mm -hmm. ultrasound, mm -hmm. uh, but you're also exactly right in that uh, current guidelines uh, recommend uh, dividing who should be screened at a clinician's discretion with these techniques into uh, high-risk family history versus lower-risk or average-risk. So as mentioned, uh, those patients with a high-risk family history may be uh, screened at a clinician's discretion. Uh, depending upon their history and background. Uh, those who are of lower risk or average risk, uh, for those patients, screening is typically not recommended. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so so it sounds like there's a good deal of risk stratification that goes into the, the calculation there. That's so interesting. That's a really good review of, of uh, standard approaches to ovarian cancer screening. And now if we could talk a little bit about the more novel approaches, I think that, that would be very illuminating. Certainly, there is ongoing research to identify novel biomarkers for ovarian cancer that can be used for screening. Among the techniques being evaluated in the research realm are novel liquid biopsy techniques, for example. Uh, that refers to novel sampling methods that involve analyzing distinct tumor elements secreted into the peripheral blood, such as circulating tumor cells, cell-free RNA, 
circulating tumor DNA, exosomes, and so-called tumor-educated platelets, or platelets containing a tumor-specific messenger RNA profile. It remains to be seen whether um, any of these or other novel biomarkers and or techniques that are currently under investigation may have defined benefit, ideally for effective general population-based screening that ensures both early detection and improved prognoses with a reduction in ovarian cancer mortality. Well, given that there's no universally accepted means to detect ovarian cancer, can you please talk a little bit about the barriers to detecting it? Yes, yeah, so there are challenges in terms of detecting ovarian cancer early. Um, ovarian cancer can be hard to detect in its early stages due to its vague symptoms. The symptoms of high-grade serous ovarian cancer often don't appear until the cancer has grown and begun to spread, with most women not experiencing symptoms until the cancer is in its later stages. Women may experience constipation, bloating, or early satiety of feeling of fullness after eating, as well as back pain. It's important for patients to know that if they notice any of these potential symptoms of ovarian cancer to talk to their doctor. Oftentimes they are caused by non-cancerous conditions, but it is important to have symptoms evaluated and for patients to obtain timely, high quality and optimal care. It's also important to note that while population-based screening is not currently recommended for the general population, uh, it's important to focus at the present time on those interventions that are known to improve outcomes for ovarian cancer. Uh, among these include recommendations endorsed by the Society for Gynecologic Oncology, such as encouraging women to know their risk and promoting genetic testing to at-risk populations, taking action when necessary in order to decrease mortality, encouraging testing for patients' family members when a mutation that increases ovarian cancer risk is discovered, so family members are also aware. And for those patients who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer, to educate them to utilize genomic testing when appropriate for more personalized treatment and to promote consideration for participation in clinical trials for which they may be eligible. In terms of the future for ovarian cancer screening, as I'd mentioned, there's ongoing research in this area. This is an area of active investigation. Uh, we want to be able to make an impact and improve upon survival rates for patients with this cancer. There is a lot of interest in the potential for liquid biopsy techniques and other blood-based techniques to assist with screening. And there's a possibility in the future that combining uh, liquid biopsy techniques uh, and other similar techniques with imaging may also have an additive impact, though this may, remains to be uh, confirmed in the context of prospective research trials. That's so interesting. It seems like a lot of uh, a lot of possibilities are opening up. So we'll have to keep a close eye on this this uh, space. Now it sounds like there are challenges across the board when it comes to early detection of ovarian ovarian cancer. But I'm also wondering, are there additional uh, hurdles faced by underserved groups when it comes to seeking ovarian cancer screening? While we know that multiple factors play a role in ovarian cancer survival, among these is access to healthcare and other socioeconomic factors. Fundamentally, a lack of awareness about this disease can limit the ability to seek ovarian cancer screening or evaluation. This can be true for anyone, but includes those from underserved groups. This is why these types of opportunities to speak to increase awareness as we are doing today are so important. Knowledge is really vital. Knowledge about the risk factors for developing ovarian cancer and one's own personal risk, it's also important for all women to be educated about the symptoms of ovarian cancer so patients can receive a prompt diagnosis in order to facilitate treatment. 
For those patients diagnosed with ovarian cancer, it's also important to encourage that they be seen by a gynecologic oncologist who specializes in the treatment of gynecologic cancers and that they have access to the best standard of care treatments. This can be a challenge for those from underserved groups and speaks to the need to address disparities related to resource access in order to maximize optimal clinical outcomes for all our patients. Well, that's so interesting. And I'm, I'm glad that you're taking a holistic view of that and, and really paying attention to, to everyone across the board. Just uh, switching gears one last time, you know, we're almost finished, but I'd like to shift our focus, if we could, to the role of radiology in evaluating patients uh, with known ovarian cancer. So screening for ovarian cancer is certainly an important part of the patient care process, and we've talked about that quite a bit here today, but an overemphasis on that segment of it can take away from the fact that radiology often also plays a key role when a patient is treated for the disease and even in post-treatment surveillance for disease recurrence. Uh, so can you please talk a little bit about the spectrum of care with respect, with respect to radiology? Certainly. So radiology plays an essential role in the evaluation and multidisciplinary management of patients with ovarian cancer. CT, MRI, and PET-CT scans, for example, which are interpreted by radiologists, are critically important imaging studies obtained in ovarian cancer patients. As most patients experience nonspecific symptoms, ovarian cancer is often initially diagnosed on CT by radiologists when searching for a cause of the symptoms. For the primary tumors, their location, size, and degree of invasion of nearby or regional anatomical structures can influence treatment decisions, specifically whether patients will be candidates for upfront cytoreductive surgery versus neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which are the two primary upfront therapies for ovarian cancer. CT is most commonly used in this setting to stage ovarian cancer patients and assist with this treatment decision-making. With MRI useful primarily as a problem-solving diagnostic tool or on occasion used for staging as well. PET-CT scans, which detect sites of metabolically active tumor are useful in the detection of extraperitoneal disease, that is disease outside the abdomen and pelvis in advanced cases and after treatment to evaluate for recurrence. Radiologists can also perform image-guided biopsies to help confirm tumor diagnosis and disease stage in ovarian cancer patients when advanced distant metastatic disease is suspected. They can also perform diagnostic or therapeutic paracentesis in patients with ovarian cancer, whereby fluid known as ascites that has accumulated in the abdomen as a result of the cancer can be removed. So from the time of initial or suspected diagnosis to the post-treatment surveillance setting, radiology plays a central and vitally important role in the care of patients with ovarian cancer. Interesting. I'm, I'm so grateful that you highlighted the radiologist's very key role there. So I'm uh, thank you for walking us through that. And I should also add before we go that that there will be a patient-friendly animation highlighting ovarian cancer screening that should be published soon on the JACR YouTube channel. And we'll go ahead and link to that video below in the show notes when it's available. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, the patient-friendly animation videos, that's a, a series of videos highlighting uh, what can sometimes seem like fairly complicated uh, procedures in a very patient-friendly way. So please be on the lookout for that. And um, doctor, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And hopefully we'll have you back in the near future uh, to discuss this in, in more detail. Thanks, Chris. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Absolutely. Well, and, and one one last thing I might ask is if people uh, want to, dis to continue discussing this with you, um, is there a, a good place to find you online? I don't know if you're on social media or LinkedIn or anything like that. 
Yes, those who'd like to reach out to me are welcome to message me via my Twitter account at avenkatesenmd or to message me via LinkedIn. Excellent. Thank you for making yourself so accessible. And to our viewers, uh, I would say that if you have any ideas for future show topics, please let us know on Twitter at RadiologyACR. That's our handle. And please use uh, hashtag ACR Bulletin Podcast in, in your tweet. Um, I'd also invite you to check out all of our past episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And please be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel to see our latest episodes. And, and do hit that like button today if you found this video valuable. Again, Doctor, thank you so much for your time. And thank you to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin Podcast. See you next time.